All right. Hey, good morning, church. It is uh, great to see you all. Very good to see you. Hey, thanks for praying. Uh, you guys have been in good hands for a few weeks between uh, Joby and then the emergency session with uh, Dan Leanne and, uh, and then the, some of the campus pastors and the Pastor Jason uh, last week. I know you guys have been blessed. I've been watching online, but seriously, thanks for praying. And uh, I was very benevolent and generous, and I went ahead and gave COVID to Lori as well. And she's doing well. She's doing great. She's got a couple more days of quarantine. Um, but uh, anyway, seriously, uh, thank you very much for praying. Uh, praying does work, and I'm feeling great. Probably not. 90%, and hopefully by the end of the week be 100%. So take your Bibles, all right, whether it be uh, leather bound or on a device, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today. Let me say hello to the other Biltmore Church uh, campuses as well as online. Thank you very much uh, for joining us, wherever you were joining us uh, from. And here's kind of uh, where we are, and let me uh, mention this. It was mentioned in the video but at every single location in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be that starting point that was mentioned in the video. And I know during kind of uh, pandemic spikes and all that kind of stuff, it's like, uh, hey, I'm not sure. Maybe we're watching online or maybe we're just going to ease in the back or kind of figure out what's going on. Here in a few weeks, that is a great time. There's, uh, there's a small group of people. You have dinner together. We go over who we are, where we're going. If you want to get plugged in, that's great. Uh, but just you can either sign up in the lobby, you can sign up online, you can text START to uh, 28282, and we can get you hooked into that. So starting points are coming up. So here's what I want to do. What comes to mind, what image comes to your mind when you hear the word church? What image comes to mind, and it's going to vary based on how you grew up, where you grew up, if you grew up in church or did not grow up in church, but uh, what image comes to mind when you hear the word or when you think about church, All right? Some of you goes back to that little nursery rhyme that uh, my wife accuses me. I know no nursery rhymes at all, but I think I know this one. It's like, here's the church, what? Here's the steeple, and then there's some weird deal. It's like, and open it up the doors, and then here are the people, right? And it's like, that's, that's your idea of church. So uh, some of you, it is a building. And one of the things COVID has taught us is that facilities certainly facilitate the mission, but it is not the mission, but it certainly facilitates the mission. And uh, some of you think about a time period, maybe a group of people you did life with at an integral part of uh, your pilgrimage with the Lord. Here's a bulletin that I got sent actually by my, uh, uh, my older brother. This, uh, this is a bulletin from uh, Blue Grove Baptist Church. I think there's going to be a bulletin up there. There you go. Um, that, if, for those of you that are uh, underneath the age of 40, that is actually done on a typewriter. I don't know if you know what a typewriter is, but it actually, that was done on a typewriter. And I didn't even notice this this morning. Now you go down there and you got all that you need for church. You got 262, make me a channel of blessing. You got the children's sermon right there. And then look down at special music. Uh, obviously what happened is the bulletin got typed and printed and then the special music it got decided on, and that was none other than my Redeemer, Lori. Well, got, that didn't come across right. Lori was singing my Redeemer. And then the cool part about it was at the very end, the reason I actually got this sent to me this week, uh, was at the very end, it's the ordinance of baptism, uh, Stephen and Karen Frank, who is my brother and my uh, sister-in-law, so I got to baptize them 
uh, that day, okay? Our deal is if we don't have anybody baptized, then family members are good candidates, throw them in there if they want to or not. So point being is this, that's kind of what I think. Those people in some way raised me. First pastorate, first month of the first pastorate was that bulletin. I mean, those folks raised me. They raised Lori and I. Tyler was an infant, uh, all that stuff. And so that's kind of when I think about it, it's like I think about some of that. Some of you might be new to church and you got caricatures that you think that might or might not be accurate. Some of them might be accurate, like all the Christians are nice or maybe all the Christians are hypocrites or whatever that is, you've got these stereotypes. Here's what I would say, regardless of what image comes to mind, chances are when somebody in the first century thought about the word church, it was very different than what you think about when you think about church. Because when you look in the first century and you look at the early church and you look at the way that, how did churches get here and how did Biltmore Church get here and how did Christianity begin? When you actually look at that, it's really comprised of two things. It's comprised of a conviction that they had that was then followed up by a mission that was given to them. They had a conviction, a confidence in something and then they had a mission that the whole thing was built around. In the early church, what they had was they had uh, a conviction that Jesus had died for sinners and then rose from the grave. And then in Acts chapter 1, and Acts is basically a book about the first 30 years of the church's history, all right? So as we go through this year of the Bible, we've been going there since January, and we'll finish up in December. We're in the book of Acts right now. In some place, some books we weren't able to get to, some books we stayed in there for weeks. Acts is one we're going to stay in there for weeks, And so in Acts chapter 1, what happens is the mission is given to the Christians, and then in Acts chapter 2, the church is born. And so one of the things, one of the dangers of any church is to forget that, you know what, the church was made for the mission, the mission wasn't made for the church. And the danger is when a church or a Christian has mission drift or gets away from their actual reason that they exist, then danger comes in there. And so a, uh, a conviction that drove a mission ended up leading to the largest movement in all of human history. It starts with a group of 12 guys that were not voted most likely to succeed. Fishermen, tax collectors, carpenters. That's who it started with. And then 2,000 years later, here we are in Western North Carolina or wherever you're watching from, and you are part of that movement. Now, for me, this was great timing. Number one, it was like, all right, this is great timing for us as a church. It's great timing. In some ways, what COVID has taught us is being flexible and how do we make sure that we actually do what we've talked about for 10 or 12 years now. And that is that, you know what, every time we end a service, you are loved and you are sent. You're loved and you're sent. And the purpose of that is to drill down in the fact that, listen, you are the way the gospel spreads. It's not about a bunch of preachers or gifted singers. It's about, you know what, you're loved by God and you are also sent by God. And so when we look at this as a church, the question you have to ask, we can look at it as a church, but as a Christian, you have to ask, you're like, if I'm a Christ follower, am I actually part of the movement? Because one of the things that can happen when a church, and God's blessed us uh, in some amazing ways in the last decade. I mean, if you just think about the last decade of our church, Uh, You all have planted uh, over 170 churches around the world. You've planted six campuses around, seven campuses around Western North Carolina. You you sponsored 3,500 children uh, in Ecuador. You feed them, you clothe them, you educate them. We've seen 5,000 people baptized in the last decade, over 5,000 people. 
But when those things happen, what oftentimes is a temptation is to you to look at the movement and not be a part of it. It's for you to be like the spectator at the Clemson game watching 22 guys bust it down there, but you're up there eating popcorn and drinking Diet Coke. And so the question you got to ask is, it's not, is Christianity a movement? The question is, am I moving? Do I have my move down in the movement? And so let me read the first part of the first chapter, and there's some things there that I'm just going to have us uh, almost repeat. It's like, this is what I am. I am. I'm going to make a commitment today. I'm going to be part of the movement. And then what we're going to do at every campus, if you didn't notice when you came in, there is a map at every campus lobby on the floor. And when you came in, you had a little red dot. If you're watching online, you're going to have to tell us where you're from. But if you're in one of the services, there's a dot. And what we're going to do at the end is we're going to go and realize, you know what? God put me right here to be his representative in this area. It might be Mills River. It might be Canton. It might be Candler. It might be Brevard. It might be Crusoe. It might be A.C. Reynolds. It might be wherever. That's, that's what I am. I'm, I'm that representative right there. I think we'll be shocked here in a couple of weeks when that whole place in Western North Carolina is filled, filled with dots. So here's, here's, here's the way the text goes. Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, quick time out right there. We don't really know who Theophilus was. There's about four decent guesses, but the part we do know is it says in the first book. In the first book, the first book that he's referring to is the gospel of Luke in your Bible. The guy that wrote the book of Acts is a guy named Dr. Luke. He was a physician, and he's basically was like a private eye. He was like a personal investigator. He was like looking and getting all these stories and chasing down all these leads to see that, hey, what happened? What happened? And what's the guy's name? And you'll see that a very historical account. But he says, in my first book, O Theophilus, I wrote down all that Jesus both said and did. In other words, the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus, which parenthetically in our culture, it's typically not the works of Jesus that get people riled up. I mean, you understand that. The works of Jesus, people, our culture loves the works of Jesus. The works of Jesus is he, uh, he loved the little children and he fed the 5,000 and he helped poor people and he healed the blind and all. That's great. It's the words of Jesus that often, it's the words of Jesus what got him crucified. When he's like, I am the son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what actually got him in trouble. But that's the gospel of Luke. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now check out verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proves. One of the things we talk about, you don't have to check your intellect at the door to be a Christ follower. You don't have to check out and say, well, I'm just going to believe in a fairy tale. There are proofs, and we're going to see going back, it all comes down, is the tomb empty? Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. That's where they were. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but days from now, but, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking, you know, the Messiah is going to come and kick Rome out and bring in this awesome time for the nation of Israel. He said to them, 
It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then verse 8, verse 8 is the outline of the entire book. All 28 chapters, we're going to probably spend five or six weeks in the book of Acts, but all 28 chapters, verse 8 is the outline. It's how the whole book, it's how the gospel spreads throughout the world. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were, in Judea, that's a little further out, that's regional, and Samaria, a little further out than that, and to the ends of the earth. Listen to me, loved ones. Here's, there's two people, two kinds of people that study history, scholars and soldiers. Scholars study history to figure out what was done. Soldiers study history to figure out not just what was done, but how can that impact what I'm going to do? We want to look at it like a scholar, but we want to act on it like a soldier. What we want to know is, okay, how did God move not just them, but how does God want to move now? We don't even want to look back and say, how did God move in the last decade at our church, but what does God want to do in the next decade in our church? And so when we look at this, what I said is I'm going to have uh, just a few points that uh, I want you to be able to or not affirm at the end. So I put them all in the first person. But these are right in the text. First three verses, the phrase that came to mind, the phrase that summarizes the first three verses is, I am confident in the resurrection. I'm confident in the empty tomb. I'm confident that the tomb was empty. Now, on your device or in your Bible, highlight that word begin. He said, I'm going to tell you what Jesus began. Begin implies continuation. And what that means is it's not that in the gospel of Luke, Jesus worked, and then in the book of Acts, we work. It's in the gospel of Luke, Jesus worked in person, and now in the book of Acts, Jesus is also going to work, but he's going to work through his body, the local church. So he gives a mission in chapter 1, and he bursts the church in chapter 2. And he says, he appears to them by many proofs appearing to them. Now listen, we said the words and the works. A lot of great works Jesus did, but by far the greatest work Jesus did was die as a substitute for your sins and then be raised from the grave, validating that he was who he says he was. That's the greatest work he ever did. But what he says here is he says, by many proofs appearing to them. And what are those proofs? What are those proofs? You're going to see a lot of different proofs if you kind of just do a perusal of some of the Bible accounts of the resurrection. Here's a few of them. He had breakfast with some people. And so you're going to see this, this changed the way that Christians actually believed. Everything you see in the early church is based on the confidence that, you know what, if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. And if the tomb is empty, nothing else really matters. And so you see them, he'll have breakfast with them. So it'd be like you going to a funeral of a friend on a Friday, and then on Sunday you're over at uh, another broken egg, or you're over biscuit head, and you walk in there, and you see the guy having breakfast that you were at his funeral on Friday. And so they impact that hat on them. They're like, you know what? Go ahead a few chapters of chapter 4. And the authorities are like, you better shut your mouth, Christians. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth or we're going to beat you. And they're like, guys, I understand. I understand. You got all these degrees on the wall. I understand you're smarter than we are. But the guy came out of the grave. And if we got to pick between your degrees and the empty tomb, we're picking the empty tomb every time. And you see this over and over. you got guys like uh, Thomas, 
Thomas was another proof. I won't believe unless I actually see the scars. And then he shows up. He touched my hand. Then you say, here's one of the ones I always love is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He thought he was crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. The half, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? You know, it would take him coming up out of the grave. And James went from being a skeptic and a cynic to being a follower of his half-brother, Jesus. And so they were convinced that Jesus had been risen from the dead. And again, some people were like, well, they were hoping this would happen, a real, they hoped so much, and other people believe a lie, and other people believe a lie, but they don't believe in something they know is a lie. And so what you have is they are absolutely convinced, based on all the proofs Jesus showed them, that you know what, I've risen from the dead, I'm alive, and they had no worldview of that Messiah dying in shame and then coming up out of the grave. Why do they believe it? They believe it because they saw it with their own eyes. And here's the the point. It altered everything for them. And the question is, has it altered everything for you? It altered everything for them. It altered the way they saw themselves. It altered the way that they saw other people. It altered the way that they saw what their lives should be about. When you look in the early church and you see confidence that they had after the resurrection that they did not have before, it changed the way that they did everything. It changed the way they saw other people. It did. They were the people that were getting persecuted and thrown to the lions and they would forgive. They were the ones that were generous even with people that weren't even in the Christian community. They were the ones, as a matter of fact, they were the first multiracial community. You know Why? Because they realized every single person we see, Jew, Gentile, rich, or poor, every single one is made in the image of God. The question is not, were they confident in the resurrection? The question is, are you confident in the resurrection? Has it changed everything for you? Does it change the way you see yourself? Do you, say, do you look in the mirror and go, you know what? If I'm in Christ, I'm a son or daughter of Almighty God. I've been bought with a price. I've been adopted. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I've been clean. I've been brought into a family. Do you look at the mirror and say, you know what? I'm who God says I am. Do you look at other people like that? You look at people as somebody that's like, well, they're just maybe a convenience for me or somebody that it's what life is about. I want to love Jesus and I want to love people. Because the only explanation is that this movement exploded from a bunch of backwoods fishermen that got thrown into prison almost as soon as the whole movement started. Is You know what? They had seen something that changed everything. And which, quickly, this is a reminder that Christianity is, is about history, not philosophy. Other movements or other religions are about philosophy. Take Buddhism, for example. Buddhism is about a value system or it's about, this is kind of the stuff I believe uh, other, other religions, it's about a place that you go. I got to go travel over here. I got to go to Mecca over here. And what you got to understand is Christianity is not about a place or philosophy. It's about a person. Every verse in the first like 11 verses, it all talks about Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. Something happened. And what happened there was the resurrection. Let me give you one quote before going to the second one is this. This is a Yale professor. I don't quote a Yale professor too often, but here's a Yale professor about trying to look at the early church and what happened and how did it explode. He said, the more one examines the various factors which seem to account for the extraordinary victory of Christianity, the more one is driven to search for a cause underlying them all. It is clear that at the very beginning of Christianity, there must have occurred a vast, and this is him talking, a vast release of energy virtually unparalleled in history. Nothing else could explain the surge of the early Christian movement. 
What caused this release of energy? Again, it's the old professor trying to quantify something he doesn't understand. What caused this release of energy? It lies outside the realm of which modern historians are supposed to actually move. Then he says this, but before I am a historian, I am a human. How can I close my eyes to the obvious explanation that something supernatural happened? So church, are you convinced? I am convinced. I am confident that the tomb is empty. If you're not, it's going to be a roller coaster from here on out. And by the way, if you're like, i got to have some more facts, there are tons of facts. If you're watching online and you're like, I'm kind of skeptical about it, there are tons of resources to just go through the evidence. We talk about an honest doubter and a dishonest doubter all the time. An honest doubter comes and looks at the evidence saying, if I see the evidence, I will believe. My deal would just be, be an honest doubter. Thomas was, and God went to great lengths to show himself to Thomas, and he will to you as well. So I'm confident in the resurrection. Second one. I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit. I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 and 5, after all the excitement and after the empty tomb, I mean, there were some type A's. Uh, I'm sh- if, you, if, you, if you look at the characters in the 12 disciples, you had a handful of type, type A's. You had some 8's. You had some cholerics. You had those guys. And uh, can you imagine? I mean, they see a risen Christ and everything in them wanted to move. We gotta do something. We gotta do something. We gotta preach a sermon. We gotta go out and visit. We gotta put a conference on. We gotta write a book. We gotta do something. How hard would that have been? All what he says is you gotta wait. You gotta wait. And this is a reminder again to us as a church. And this was the painful reminder I shared with you four or five weeks ago, which by the way, uh, when I shared the deal about breaking the wedge up against the tree, I'm not sure it was a compliment or a condemnation, but I got more emails from y'all about breaking a wedge on a tree than I have in 13 years. So, so I guess, I don't know what that means other than I'll break another one next week. I'm not sure what it means, but the point, the point is, the point is that was my rhema moment to say, you are a dependent person. You can't work hard enough, study hard enough, try hard enough. You are a dependent person. And I hope you know that you are dependent. You're like the appliance that you have everything you need to live a victorious Christian life, but if you are not plugged into the power source, it is going to be just a waste of time and you will not have the energy or the power to do it. And we talked about this four or five weeks ago, but that person is not an energy source. That person is the person of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I'm just going to briefly touch on this. What you see is you see in the book of Acts, it's like... It's like the Holy Spirit just moves churches and people and Christians. They're like, go over here. It's like, don't go over there. Go over here. Don't go over there. Plant a church over here. Go talk to this person over here. Hey, don't miss that person on the plane. It's like they're just following. I think it was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, our Christian experience is a lot like a little child holding their dad's hand and just walking down the street. Just confident, secure. But when dad moves, then you move. And when dad goes this street, you go down that street with him. Now, it might be scary, but it's okay because your dad's with you. He said, that's the Christian experience for us. Now, listen, if you look at this book, the book ends on a cliffhanger. If you sometime look at the very end of the book of Acts, it's chapter 28, and it ends with the apostle Paul going to Rome, but he's in prison, and then it ends. It's like the 24 series with Jack Bauer years ago, they would like end on this cliffhanger. Is the world going to end? Is it going to end? And then you're like, oh, I don't know. But you're going to look up for the next, the next chapter. 
The reason the book of Acts ends like it does in chapter 28 is because the movement continues. It continues. It continues with people just like you, people just like me. People that are confident that the tomb is empty, dependent on the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, how does that even work? A couple of ways you see in the book of Acts. The first one we don't have time for, but it's basic. We'll, we'll talk about it at a different time. It's basically God gives you a spiritual gift. He gives you a spiritual gift, a proclivity, an ability to bless the church, whether that be, a, you know, some of you are blessed by your connect group teacher. You're blessed by, it seems like somehow you can look at the same text in your connect group teacher uh, they explain it, and it's like, man, that helped me so much. That helped me so much. Sometimes you might see one of the singers up here, and they're all talented, but some of them have the, uh, some of them have like the gift of exhortation. And so when she sings or when he sings, it's like it goes from just awesome tune and awesome lyrics and great melody and awesome talent, and it goes to like, man, it does something to your soul. It makes you want to live for the Lord. They're just using their spiritual gifts. So obviously, you need to use yours as well. But the one that I'm going to draw attention to is most of the time in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit moves on a person, it's not just to make them feel good or raise their hands in worship or even, even exercise a spiritual gift. It's to testify, to say something. It's to actually open your mouth. Now, listen, I've been doing this long enough to know if you really want to get church in the West to get nervous, you can talk to them about prayer. You can talk to them about money. If you really want to get nervous, talk to them about evangelism. So, wait, chill, chill out. Okay, just a second. But the idea is when you see the Spirit of God move, he does something so that we actually say something. Listen, everything is awesome about demonstrating the gospel, everything. You guys have been amazingly generous to the whole 828 Strong, and we'll give you a, kind of an update on that in the weeks ahead. You guys are amazingly generous both through your time and your money toward, toward Haywood County. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And that's awesome. Helping people out and building a house and all that stuff is amazing but when it comes to actually the gospel, the gospel is an announcement about what God is not, not what you and I do. What you and I do is simply to demonstrate that what we say with our lips can be demonstrated by our actions. And so I'll give you an example. Every time, it's just like he, he moves and they say they're filled with the Holy Spirit and then, then they say something. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fills the apostles of Pentecost and they begin to declare God's praises. Acts chapter 4, Peter's filled with the Spirit and preaches to the rulers that Jesus is the only hope of salvation. Later in Acts chapter 4, the disciples are filled with the Spirit and they speak the word of God boldly in the face of persecution. Acts chapter 9, Paul is filled with the Spirit and immediately he begins to preach. So let's just, let's do this. Uh, I know what we're saying. You're like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm nervous. It's awkward. It's, I'm, gonna, I'm shy. I'm an introvert. They're going to think I'm a weirdo. They're going to kick me off the football team. I, what if I send them to hell number two? What, I mean, what am I going to say? What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? Here's the bottom line. is when your confidence that the tomb is empty meets up with your dependence on the person of the Holy Spirit, you can't help but to do something if you love that person. You're like, well, I haven't been trained, and we, it's our, we want to train you. We train you through connect groups. We train you from the pulpit. But bottom line is, when you understand that tomb is empty, when Jesus paid for their sin, and you mix that up with that, you know what? God is real. The tomb is empty. Eternity is long, and God is at work. Then you will figure out a way to do something. True story. Right before, right, right before Right before I went down with the vid, all right, right before that happened, I was preaching down at North Greenville University at their big kickoff, all right, 
uh, their big uh, kickoff. I don't know what you call it. The, kick, the kickoff of the school year, all right? You know, 1,100 students crammed into an 1,100-seat auditorium. So, um, <laughs> so, we, uh, so I'm sitting there having lunch afterwards. True story. It's not a preacher story. This is a true story. So I'm having lunch with like two or three of our staff guys that work with college and then uh, spiritual formation guy at, 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 uh, at North Greenville, a great guy. So we're having lunch. And I, you know, it's a university cafeteria, so you kind of pick what you want to. It's not like carb-friendly, so you just got fried chicken, you got everything, you're just picking stuff out. And one of the guys that are, one of the guys on our team that went down there, I'm sitting down there eating, talking with Jody, who works for North Greenville, and our guy, look, and I barely, I don't know him that well. And he, he's looking at me, he's like, I'm like, what, what? He's like, and I see dribble coming out here. And I'm like, are you choking? And he's like, <laughs> okay, choice right there. I can't even spell Heimlich. I can't even spell it, all right? But at that point, the urgency of what was going on combined with a love for my brother, what do I do? I get up and, and I grab him around the chest I probably like broke ribs because I think you're supposed to get them here. I got, got them right here. I was like, boom, boom, boom. And he's like, boom. And pretty soon, ping, chicken flies out. And he's like, that's awesome. That's what I need. And he was good. And he was good. Now, here's my point. My point is this. My point is this. Did I know what I was doing? Nada. I did not know what I was doing. I did not. Never had done the Heimlich. Never, never took the class. Not at all. But when you mix the fact that, you know what, the urgency of the moment combined with the love for the person, you, nobody was, because if I had done it, somebody else would have. Nobody was going to sit there and go, bro, you're ruining our lunch by choking right here in front of us. You know how nasty that dribble is? Get that stuff off your mouth. I mean, nobody's doing that. You're like, I got to do something. I got to do something. Listen to me. When you love people and you know that Jesus can save them, it makes you do something. You can't just sit there and go around the, what Joby called it, the merry-go-round of normality. Yeah, it's fun to jump on the little giraffe initially. Like, hey, this is fun. But just like we said, if thank God it's Friday is your best prayer. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Make the prayer instead of TGIF, make it SDG, which is sola de gloria. Let me live for the glory of God today. You pray that prayer, I promise you, you're going to have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You're like, well, I don't know what to say. Let me just, I'm going to just rattle off about 15 things you could do today based on who you are and where you are in your pilgrimage. First steps, first words. You could pray. You got one person you pray for? You got one person you pray for? Just pray for them. I'm going to give you a chance. Just pray for that one person. God, would you save, would you save Sean? Would you save that guy? Would you say, God, I know you want to. Just, just pour out your heart to God for, for that person. Um, open your mouth and just invite somebody to come to church or watch online if you're still online. Or just say, oh, you know what? I'll serve in ministry just like you saw in the video. Or just say, you know what? I'll get baptized. I know we had a bunch of baptisms a couple weeks ago. I hated missing it. But I guarantee you there's a lot of you that if you would, if you would actually follow through on that first step as a disciple and invite some of your friends and family to your baptism, God would do something amazing in your family. Sign up for a, uh, sign up for a starting point. Um, 
Learn to share your testimony in 60 seconds. Here's what God did to me. God showed me that I was away from him and my sin had, my sin had uh, been a rebellion against his rule in my life. And he showed me that Jesus died for my sin. And here's when I came to Christ and here's what he did. And what God did for me, he can do for you. That was like 14 seconds. You got, you got 60 seconds, all right? Uh, you can go out in the lobby today and you can volunteer to help. The Haywood stuff, by the way, is not a week deal. It's not like two weeks. It's not like three weeks. This is called months and months and months and months. And when I was out there, right before I went down again, right when I went out there, they were saying, you know what? Our worry is not the first couple weeks. Our worry is when the weeks turn into months, where are the people going to be? So great job the first few weeks. You got teams out there every single week, every sing- almost every single day. Great job on the missions, folks, but you can sign up today and say, I'll help out with that. Um, now here's where, here, let me just kind of end with this one. Um, verse 8, it's like, okay, I'm confident in the resurrection. Confident that tomb is empty. If the tomb is empty, anything's possible. Second thing is you're like, you know what, I can't do it, but the third person, the Trinity, lives on the inside of me, so I'm going to be dependent I'm going to pray, and God, if you want to use me at Robertson, or if you want to use me at Reynolds, or you want to use me at Franklin, or if you want to use me at that high school, do it. If you, that's a dangerous prayer. If you pray that prayer, things will start to happen. Just, you know what? I'm holding my hand on my father, and he's going to take me down some awesome roads. But the last one you got to do, and this is where people think, i got to be a preacher, i got to be a singer, i got to be whatever. And you don't. You've got to be able to say, I just want to live. I want to intently, I want to be intent on living on mission. I want to be intent to live on mission. You're like, what does that mean? Now, look what the text says in verse 8. It says, and you will be, you will be, you'll be my witnesses. The word witness there is used 29 times in the book of Acts, 29 times. And what it means is somebody that will actually say what they've either seen or heard. It's like a court of law. Here's what I, here's what I saw and here's what I, or here's what I heard. That's what a witness is. And here's the way it starts. He says it'll go from Jerusalem, that's where they were, that's like their immediate context, Judea, that's their region, Samaria, that's the extended area, and then the ends of the earth, which again, these guys, the guys that are immediately getting this message, they hadn't, they hadn't been 40 miles from their house ever. Well, let's pull out the GPS and see where the ends of the earth are. They have no GPS, they have no globe, they have no map, you know, they, they have none of that. They had no idea what Asheville, North Carolina, or Brevard, North Carolina, or Franklin, they had no idea where that stuff was 2,000 years ago, and yet here we are. And the outline shows how the gospel spreads. First seven verses, first seven chapters, it kind of stays within Jerusalem. And then chapter 8, it starts to spread out, and then you get to about chapter 11, and then it just goes, then it explodes. And so again, as a church, does that mean you have to get on the plane and go overseas, but you can be a part of a church, and as a church, we're doing that, uttermost parts of the world. What does that look like for us? Right now, it's obviously church plants. There's, I meant to bring the breakdown up here. You've done, as a church, you've done 40, 50 or so, you know, in Africa. You've done about the same number in Southeast Asia. Uh, we've obviously done some in Ecuador. Uh, that's out there. Some, you'll get a chance. Some, some of you have been there, and there's nothing like that. Going on a foreign mission trip is amazing. Even a short-term foreign mission trip, that might need to be your, like, New Year's resolution. You know what? When, when COVID's over in six years, you know what? We're going to go on a mission trip, all right? So, um, or it could be as simple as sponsoring a compassion child. Okay. Uh, never mind. I'm just, if, you talk about it easy. Come on. Sponsor a compassion child. Can you think of anything 38 bucks would do more a month than feed a child, clothe a child, 
educated child, share the gospel with that child's family, and break the cycle of poverty in Jesus' name, I guarantee you can't think of 38 bucks doing more than that. This is not Compassion Sunday, but man, I see it like right there. It needs to, but Compassion Child. Uh, Judea. You know what Judea is? Judea is our region. It's like church plant in Brooklyn we're part of. It's like the Coastway Church that we sent out a few months ago with Pastor Jeremy. And by the way, they start their first services next week in a permanent location. All right, they'll be on the campus of Coastal Carolina, which... uh, Ranked 17th in the country in football. That's nothing to do with the mission, but hey, he's right there. Uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem looks like, again, Haywood. Here in, about, uh, here in a few weeks, you'll start here in about a week we're going to do called Heroes Week, which is the way we're going to honor policemen and firemen and frontline workers in the hospital in some awesome, crazy ways, and we're going to need your help uh, for that. Uh, it could be you getting in a connect group. Every connect group's got a partner. We've got 22 local partners. All those things are awesome, but... As I said at the beginning, it's easy when you're a part of something that's a little bigger than yourself to get lost in not, you're being a, it's like, you know what, I see the movement, but I'm not part of the movement. So my question to you today would be this, what is your Jerusalem? You know, before we talk about Ecuador or 1040 window or Africa, what is your Jerusalem? Your Jerusalem is your immediate context. It's your family, it's your neighborhood, it's your school, it's all of those things. Like, I, I, can't, I can't do some of that stuff. I can't do some of that stuff. Um, I can't speak. I'm all, that, all this is, is when you do life, you're doing it with gospel intentionality. You're like, well, I'm busy, I'm busy. I got to go to the softball. I got to coach this softball team, and I got to go, go, go help with this ballet practice. Okay, that's, that's awesome. See the ballet practice and see the softball practice and see the fact that you're coaching Little League. You don't think there's people there that need the Lord? See that as the mission field. That's why we don't, we don't over-program even before COVID. We'll do it less coming out of COVID. Because here, here's, what here's what the Lord showed me in my quarantine times. All right. It has been an awesome, it has been an awesome last 10 years. I figure I got 10 years left before you... Kick me to the old preacher home, and that's awesome, all right? You'll need a new guy in 10 years. You will, all right? Because I'll be angry and bitter and like most preachers. So I'm just saying, in 10 years, that's what will happen, all right? That's awesome. But the bottom line is, the next 10 years, sometimes what we have to choose between is success and being significant. Success, and I want you to be successful. I really do. But success is about you significance is about other people. And so I came across this image. And this image uh, probably came across it a, uh, probably a few months ago, but I've been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And this image actually, it ended up being one of Time Magazine's top 100 most influential pictures of all time, photographs of all time. And as you can see, it's a picture of a little girl who is malnourished and starving, and she's trying to make her way to a feeding center. And the guy taking the picture, and and because she's going so slow, you got some vulture who is getting closer and closer to her. 
And this photographer had been told, hey, don't touch the kids. They, you could catch something, and it's too costly, and you might get their disease. And, but, you know, something in him said, I want to do something good. I want to do something good. So he's trying to figure out how to take this picture, and then every once in a while he'll shoo the vulture away. He'll shoo it away, and then he'll go back to his picture. But then the vulture would not just come back. The vulture would come back a little closer. Again, he's like, uh, he kept hearing, don't help. Don't, you got to just stay here. Keep your distance. It's, it's too costly. You can't do it. You can't do it. And so what he eventually did is he, uh, he just snapped the picture. And then he went back home. And they snapped the picture. When he snapped the picture, went back home. The picture got published in 1993. In 1994, he wins the Pulitzer Prize for this picture. Four months later, the photographer chooses to take his own life. And when I see that story and when I hear that story, obviously the success, the success was not enough. The prize was not enough. Success was not fulfilling. Success is fine, but 10 years from now, 15 years from now, if you have to choose between I'm successful and I'm significant, choose significance every time. If we as a church have to choose between success and significance, choose significance every time. And significance, if I just say I will live for Jesus and I will love people, that will be significant. Because here's what it is. The only thing that is going to last for eternity is the word of God and the people. That's all that's going to last. That business, that 401k, all that stuff, that's not going to last. You're like, well, I got a lot of time. You might have a lot of time. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I promise you, you and I are around people that don't have a lot of time. And so my challenge to all of us is today is here's what we, uh, here's what we just have to understand. And this is kind of the way we're going to we're going to enter service a little bit differently. We got to... <laughs> Got a mask. Don't need a mask. We need a. Tell you what, where is I need a dot. Anybody got a dot? Thank you. Did you wash your hands? Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. <laughs> um, okay, you're like this is so insignificant. It's just, but here's what it is. All this dot represents is you know what? I believe that the tomb is empty. I believe the Holy Spirit can use me and work through me as a son or daughter of Almighty God. You know, and I'm intent by God's grace and through God's power to make a difference where God has put me. And you just think about it, whether it, you, got, you got seven campuses plus online campus right now. If in two weeks that whole western North Carolina is not like filled, when you go out there, you're going to see there's not a single person, there's not a single area that does not have a representative that says, I'm a Christ follower. What I want you to do is um, we're going to pray for our area. Um, there's a song that at each campus they're going to sing. It's, you start it off, but they're just going to sing it softly. I really don't want you to sing with them. They're going to kind of sing over you. And part of it is like when I fight, I'm going to fight on my knees. That's part of it. When I fight, I'm going to fight on my knees. And what you're saying is I'm going to pray for my area, my school, my neighborhood, my business where I go every day, the place, the place where you go to the gym, whatever that is. Pray for that area, and when you are done praying, when you're done praying, 
just get up quietly, go out, and you're, this also makes it where you're not all crowded around that deal. When you place that part, you'll see it's real easy. So you're like, I live in Mills River. Boom, just put that right down there. If you're a parent, man, wait till you get your kid. Take a little scooter out there and say, scooter, we are the witnesses. We are the witnesses in Mills River. And let him or her put that down there. That's going to be like the best sermon they hear all day. Got it? All right, so um, heads bowed. Eyes closed. Begin to pray. When you get through praying, then just dismiss quietly.